I Do Podcast, Episode 24. Welcome to IDoPodcast.com, where fun and inspiring relationship experts, therapists, and couples share tips and advice that will help lead you to a fulfilling and happy relationship. Let their guidance illuminate your path to happiness. Are you ready to create lasting love? And now, your hosts, Chase and Sarah. Do you have a topic that you'd like to hear more about or a relationship question you'd like answered? Email us at info at idopodcast.com and we'll be sure to add it to one of our upcoming episodes. We're very excited to introduce our guest today, Dr. Gail Gross. Hi, Dr. Gail. Hi, Sarah. How are you? We're doing great. Thank you. Hi, Chase. Dr. Gail Gross is a nationally recognized family and child development expert, author, and educator. Her positive and integrative approach to difficult issues helps families navigate today's complex problems. Dr. Gross is frequently called upon by national and regional media to offer her insights on topics involving family relationships education, behavior, and development issues. She has contributed to broadcast, print, and online media, including CNN, Fox's The O'Reilly Factor, MSNBC, The New York Times, and USA Today. She is a veteran radio talk show host, as well as the host of the nationally syndicated PBS program, Let's Talk. (laughs) We've given our listeners just a little overview, so take a minute Tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Well, you know, I, I really have thought about this question quite a bit, and I've come to the conclusion that, you know, the last third of life, we sent, sense that there's something larger than ourselves, and, and we're not raising children anymore, and we're not dating anymore, and so now we often reach for service, and I think... Being able to serve in an area that I've been trained gives me just a great feeling because I'm working in my field of passion and I feel like I'm doing a service. And it's my own field, so that that's really special for me. And I always say it's fun when it's fun and then I can do it for fun and service. If it stops being fun, I won't be able to serve. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's anyway. great to be able to help people, and that's what we're really enjoying out of uh, I Do Podcast here is is providing a service, even if it's not our own expertise. That's why we have great people like you on the show. Oh, thanks, Chase. It's awfully nice. I think you're doing a great service, and you know, these topics are so essential. I was just at a eulogy for a friend who committed suicide, and Believe me, at that eulogy, they didn't say anything about his work or time spent at the office. They just talked about relationships, family relationships, friendship relationships. And at the end of the day, those are the things that really are what define us. And yet, many times, that is the place we put the least effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It's, it's what we leave behind is the people that we affect and touch. Exactly. Well, our topic today is uh, is a big one that I think we'll be able to help a lot of people with, <laughs> and right. is why doesn't he want to have sex with me? And then as a as a male, I would say this this can go both ways. Why doesn't she want to have sex with me, you, you know, your right. partner in the relationship? And definitely an important one, so we'll get right in. And um, 
let you take it away. Well, you know, it's so interesting that you said that, Chase. It's very insightful. And of course, at the end of the day, we can't make anybody love us, and we can't make anybody want to have sex with us. And no matter how we approach it, no matter how nice we are, how good we are, how much we reach out, if someone doesn't love us or doesn't want to have sex with us, they won't. And, and there's nothing that we can do to make them want us. On the other hand, if we're in a relationship and there's been a bond and there is love and there has been sex and that part of the, the, the p- problem has been solved and suddenly there isn't anymore, then we have to look at the possibilities. What is causing it? And, you know, there, there are the typical and most blatant causes. Many times we think it's another person, and many times it is another person. When I hear somebody tell me their mate or their husband is going off to think about it, I think, whom are, with whom are they thinking? You know, who, who, where are they going and with whom? And at the end of the day, there are many reasons why someone turns away sexually. The first thing I always advise is go for a physical workup because believe it or not, a lot of sexual problems, even in very young people, are physically oriented. You can have low testosterone, which can give you a low libido. You can have low um, estrogen, which can give you a low libido. Women go into menopause many times in their 30s and suddenly aren't interested in sex anymore. And their bodies change so that they find sex painful or uncomfortable. Men also go into a form of menopause. But even young men today are being hardwired in a digital way. They're they're very different when exposed to the kinds of media and internet uh, exposures of porn so that uh, we notice that young men and young women are more socially awkward than they used to be. They're less comfortable with the social language and social rules of intimacy, just the cues of verbal and, and nonverbal communication so that porn, which is a $15 billion annual business, mm-hmm. can be very isolating when, when it's done over the web. But what the outcome of, of viewing a lot of porn does, and most people, um, a lot, especially men, see as much as a young man, as much as 50 pornography images a week. So if you're doing it, it's not abnormal, <laughs> but it's making people more highly aroused and addicted to novelty and to change. And so co- combine that with the isolation, which is creating this social awkwardness, and you get a fear of intimacy. And so we're seeing that in young people more and more. And so we have to look at that. We have to look at the history of who we're, we're mated with, who our spouse is, and see what, what's going on in their lives. Undue stress, depression, stress at the workplace, depression just can be clinical or it can be having, it can have to do with relationships, it can have to have to do with friendships, um, weight gains, um, divorce, loss of a job. So we have to look at the history. What is going on? And often when people are under stress and they're depressed, instead of facing their issues and compensating and managing like stress management, meditation, talk therapy, counseling, they often self-medicate. So they reach for alcohol, caffeine, drugs, all those things which suppress sexual performance. 
and many times cause erectile dysfunction. So you have to look at the physicality of what's going on. If someone's taking, an older man may be taking prostate medicine. That alone can contribute to erectile dysfunction. Antidepressants can contribute. Then there are sexual disorders that present themselves as we get older. Some traumatic sexual event that never surfaced until now and now is coming forward because you're older and more mature and you feel more secure in coping with those sexual traumas. And that can really impact intimacy. And what happens when we're afraid of intimacy? We create situations in which we can have space and distance so that we can feel in control again. Because fear of intimacy is also a fear of the loss of control. When you have an orgasm, you're very involved in sex, you feel vulnerable to the other partner. And many times, a lot of fights happen after sexual um, intercourse because the vulnerability makes the one partner or the other have a fight so that they can mm-hmm. control, again, their level of intimacy mm-hmm. so that they can control their level of vulnerability. And the fight itself gives them space and distance once again. So having a workup, looking at what things are going on, bulimia, anorexia, we know can lower sexual drive, but it also, and can cut off estrogen, but also excessive exercise has the same complement. It has the same effect. And finally, my all-time personal favorite is sleep deprivation. You know, you all are probably too young to remember The Graduate when they sang the song about silence. Mm -mm. But at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. silence, my friend, we all need downtime. Yeah, absolutely. And if I wasn't so hoarse, I'd sing, hello, (laughs) silence, my old friend. (laughs) But we do have sleep deprivation in our culture. We're the sleepless generation, in fact. And we really need a lot more sleep. And sleep itself lowers our ability to have sex, elevates our stress levels, and our our memory gets shorter, we get cranky, we are irritable, and we can't concentrate as well, and we're at a deficit, even in the workplace. <clears throat> so sleep deprivation has a huge impact on emotional difficulties. And, you know, young parents who have a new baby don't even know what sleep is. Young men and young women in the workplace feel it's machismo to get five hours of sleep a night. But these problems really impact our sexual and intimate relationships. And so what to do about it? We should communicate. We should talk openly with our partners. You might find that your partner is just plain angry at you. Maybe he thinks you've discounted him, discount his feelings, or or you feel that he's gotten sloppy or not... Um, following any hygiene anymore, not watching his body odor or brushing his teeth as often or washing before bathing or showering before sex. So, you know, as Chase brought out, this goes both ways. Men and women, men complain Mm -hmm. women have gained weight. They don't feel that they care about being attractive anymore. So there are all these things mothers get involved in child care and work on top of it and it's really hard to then put on makeup and comb your hair or even take a bath at night when you have a new baby you don't remember the last time you took a bath so can't wait for that 
Yeah. <laughs> this is really, get ready, get your sleep now. That's all I can tell you. And, you know, there it does get down to that other woman, other man syndrome. And familiarity can breed contempt and people get bored. But also, we often find that the other person in the triangle is not more beautiful, not more handsome, not more sexy, not even better sex, but a person that carries a a connection to the other person, understanding, maternal, paternal. And so people reach for that and will move away from their partner. And then they feel guilty. And when they feel guilty, they have to undervalue their partner so that they can continue with the extramarital affair. You know, when we want to be with someone, we want to stay with them, we often overvalue that partner. But when we want to leave them, we undervalue them. Mm -hmm. And then you have to really consider that many times husbands and lovers just have problems with intimacy. And they project onto their mate their issues. So sometimes someone will say, you're so cold, or you don't listen to me, when, or you're always fighting, when in reality, it's that person who's cold or indifferent or always fighting. They may be, they may be the one that says, I want peace when they mm-hmm. make war. So we have to watch out for projections. I always say that pointy finger has four other fingers pointing back. So what to do about this? You have to acknowledge that you've got a problem in the first place. And you've got to recognize mm-hmm. that what that problem is. Addressing before, the root of the problem, right? That's it. Before you can do anything else, you've got to really confront what is going on in your relationship. Confront that you're having a problem. And many times, marriages go on for years, and no one ever discusses the fact that they're not sleeping together. Maybe four years. Maybe a few times a year, and nobody wants to bring that up because they're embarrassed or shamed or humiliated, feel rejected. And many times when you're rejected, what do you do? You withdraw, and everybody withdraws. You're polarized. So you have to acknowledge and recognize, yes, there's a problem. What is the problem? And so, therefore, what do we have to do? We have to communicate. We have to talk to each other in in a really non-defended, honest way. But what's Equally as important is we have to listen in an undefended way, and we have to not be in any way um, accusatory. We don't want to play the blame game, and we don't want to use what our partner says in a vulnerable and tender moment ever against them. Mm -hmm. So when someone opens their heart and tells you what's going on, you don't want to hold that as a stamp against them. For example, if your husband says, some of the time I really don't like you. I don't like the way you act when, whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, in a fight, if you say, and you even said you didn't like me, Mm. that's breaking the rules of engagement. Whatever is said in, in communication, in personal communication, I call this the empathic process, is said without defense and is held in almost a sacred way to never be used against one mate or the other. Otherwise, you'll never get the truth again. Mm -hmm. If you break trust, which is based on experience, you'll never get truth in conversation again. And what's really important is if you see you have a problem that's polarized, go to counseling. Even a sex therapist. 
you know, sex therapy is really something that ends, not like regular counseling, which can go on for years. Sex counseling and sex therapy is often something that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's usually four, five, six, maybe eight times, and it's over. And it's worthwhile learning how to have a focus that's a sensate focus, how to touch your partner in the way they like to be touched, how you want to be touched. And this kind of communication, this romance of foreplay can come out of sex therapy where you have a safe place in which to tell your partner what he or she is doing wrong, what they can do to make you happy, and vice versa. There's nothing embarrassing about speaking about sex. We are sexual animals. That's what we are. We're made to biologically reproduce. And so sexuality is the kind of animal we actually are, a sexual animal. But remember, foreplay starts way before the bedroom. It's that kindness, that hand out, that listening to problems, that helping in the kitchen or in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. So really, it's the small acts of kindness that we do with one another that really is foreplay, that begins way before sex. And at the end of the day, if these things don't work, if you find that a medical professional can't help you, in, in fact, if you your mate has erectile dysfunction, for example, or you're having estrogen problems and you've used all of the drugs that are available, all the therapy that's available. I mean, there's a slew of things out there now, and none of these things happen. Then you may have to look at what's going on in your relationship. Nothing happens in a vacuum, and this marriage or this relationship may be too damaged to be repaired. And then you have choices to make, and we have free will to make those choices. But if you choose to break your relationship, choose to separate or divorce, I suggest going to a counselor for professional insight so that you see what is it that made you gravitate to this kind of a person in the first place that didn't work for you and not to make that mistake again. And that's what therapy and counseling can do for you, help you not only get out of a relationship, first of all, it can help you stay in a relationship, but if that doesn't work, how to get out of a relationship, and, but also how to not make that same, same mistake again, because you know we're creatures of habit, mm -hmm. and we tend yep. to marry and relate to types. And you'll notice the girl who dated the alcoholic will break up with the alcoholic and date another alcoholic. The boy who married or dated the aggressive, dominating girl will gravitate again to that fishwife. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, find out who you are. What made you go there? What early patterns made you gravitate to this kind of a person? And once you discover that, you won't have to do it again. There's so many great pieces of advice in here. And and I know a lot of our listeners will be able to relate to a lot of the things you're talking about. So I just want to recap a little bit. We talked about addressing the problem, finding out what the root of the cause is, whether it's emotional or physical. There's a lot of reasons that the sex may be lacking in your relationship. And then like so many things we talk about is communicating about the lack of sex 
you mentioned that. And then I, I just want to mention in your article, you, you say that there's 20 million marriages in the United States that suffer from this. So that's 40 million people. So I want our listeners to know that if this is happening, you are not alone. This is not some abnormal thing that's terribly wrong with your relationship, and it's not happening to anyone else. Very good, Chase. That's exactly right. And, you know, that should help the embar- one over the embarrassment of confronting these issues. As I said, we, we are hardwired for sex because we're hardwired to procreate. And so biology, our biology is really about sexuality. Well, Freud didn't get it all that wrong. And at the end of the day, what we know now is that what you said is exactly right. We are not alone. And there are 20 million marriages facing this very problem. There are people who have no sex for 10, 15, and 20 years and somehow find themselves adjusting to that and staying married. Mm. And that's very, very sad. Yeah. Because yeah. there are ways to confront these issues and and fulfill our the fullness of our lives. Absolutely. And, and that's just some great information for listeners. And I know that a lot of people will be able to resonate th- with that. What do you find is the most common reason couples struggle with sex in their relationship? Well, you know, intimacy is really... I think, the root of so many problems, that regardless of what kind of structure it is, whether it's husband and wife, girlfriend and boyfriend, girlfriend and girlfriend, boyfriend and boyfriend, regardless of the structure, we all have come from a family of origin, and we all operate as adults from patterns that we experience as children. And those patterns often make us have problems with intimacy. Because, as I said earlier, intimacy, by its very nature, has to do with trust. And by trusting that other partner, we are giving up some of our control. Therefore, what are we? We are vulnerable. And so many people have childhoods that were out of control, that they become controlling adults as a compensation. Mm -hmm. So in relationship, when we're experiencing the ultimate out of control, which is an orgasm, or even the foreplay leading to that orgasm, many times it's too much for us to cope with because we're completely out of control. And so we will organize things that we can cope with, that we state control for us. We'll create a fight, because we've created the fight, so we know how much tension we can take. We know how much rejection we can take. So we'll create it so we have control over it, and then we can begin it and end it. And so it's that fear of intimacy. And that's what's made pornography and isolated sex so popular. Because when you're alone and you're having sex with yourself through pornographic images over the web, you're in total control. Yeah. Not as vulnerable. And not vulnerable. And this is how we've developed this new uh, new um, digital shyness. In a sense, we're becoming digitally rewired for change and novelty and excitement 
and constant arousal. And that's out of sync with really who we are because we need a social language. We need social cues for how to have social intercourse, how to date, how to have sex that's slow and not rushed, how to meet each other's needs sexually, how to be present in sexuality. And so it's that fear of intimacy that is one of what I would consider one of the largest problems in sexual dysfunction, erectile dysfunction, um, female problems with sexuality, that fear of being out of control. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's so great that we're pinpointing it because I think that's a huge part of solving the problem is is getting to the underlying issue. So our listeners can take that and, and see if some of these things are resonating with them and that it's happening in their relationship and so they can directly address it. And Chase, that's why trust is really as important as love in a, a relationship, whatever kind of intimate relationship. Because trust is based on experience. And when trust is broken, what do you think it does to our feelings of being out of control? It heightens all of those fears and those fears of intimacy. And that's why um, infidelity, for example, or even talking about your sex life with other people and and telling your girlfriends and boyfriends all about the problems your mate has, these things are very, very bad in relationship because you have to honor the sacred bonds of trust and build trust. So intimacy can be built and trust can be created, but it's based on one word, experience. Absolutely. Such great information there. Well, now we are going into the his and her round where Sarah and I will each ask a question that's on our minds. Sarah's up first. How would you recommend a couple determine when they're ready to go to sex therapy? When at the point in the relationship where they've had intimate issues and now they need to speak with somebody about it? You know, when the, when the situation becomes polarized, when, uh, when you recognize that there's projection in the relationship where someone says, I want peace, they're making war, when you can't communicate over the polarization because you project it's his fault, he projects it's your fault, that's when you need a third party to listen and to help you, guide you back towards each other to see what really is going on. You know, there's a great line I love in psychology. We say, it's never about what it's about. Mm -hmm. So many times what we think we're dealing with is a projection of what's going on interiorly inside of us. And we all live so exteriorly now on the Internet, Facebook, the thousand friends will never be there if you need them, you know, the tweeting. But at the end of the day, um, that's not who we really are. And so we have to come back to that. Excellent. Well, my question is, you mentioned it earlier in the interview that one of the causes of um, relationship troubles with, with sex in women is menopause, and you said men have a form of menopause, so I'm interested to hear what that is. Well, women start having lower levels of estrogen as they enter perimenopause, which is in their 30s, 
as some women, even in their late 20s. And the lower the estrogen, of course, impacts our childbearing years, but it also impacts our libido. Men have a similar situation where they find that they're having less testosterone. I know you've all seen those commercials on television for testosterone patches and testosterone pills and Mm -hmm. how to get your zest back and your energy back and your interest in sex back and but that actually is true not that necessarily these are the vehicles to use but that we do experience lower testosterone for males lower estrogen for females and they affect even the the way we think affect the way we relate affect our energy level and how quick our mind goes and our memories I mean, you hear always people at 40, 45 say, gee, I'm just not remembering the way I used to remember. But we're basically a complex of hormones, our happy hormones, our, even our sad hormones. And so we have these hormone regulators, which have to do with thyroid, which also should be checked when we're getting that physical workup to see if we have too high a thyroid, too low a thyroid, which also affects all of these different complexes which affect our libido, our desire for sex, and our energy for sex. Uh, Great information there. And I know there are a lot of, with the testosterone, a lot of new drugs and with with women as well, but I'm a big proponent in natural healing. And so I think, you know, exercise and a good diet is a great way to make sure that these are um, being maintained so that you can have a good sex life. Chase, that's such an insightful um, piece that you just have said. You know, Dr. Elizabeth Blackburn, who just won a Nobel Prize from Harvard, um, she was studying telomeres. And telomeres are those little uh, rings on our chromosomes that fall off as we get older huh. and also fall off as we become stressed. And so what she discovered first was that, yes, we have these little telomeres and they drop off as we get older. But that lifestyle changes can put those telomeres back, that we can gain back our, you know, a a person who's under stress, a sick child, a sick husband, a man who's dealing with work problems, home problems, can lose as many as 15 years worth of telomeres and literally shorten their life. But through lifestyle changes, we have, we now know, and she proved you can grow back these telomeres, put back these telomeres, as much as 15 years worth. So you're totally right. Uh, There are many natural ways to help ourselves sexually. And and we know the greatest sex organ is in the mind. And that has everything to do with how we overwork ourselves, overstress ourselves, and our childhood patterns. So, you know, all of these things, contribute to happy, self-fulfilling prophecies of good lives or the diminishment as we get older and struggle with the loss of our hormones. And so, yes, um, natural, natural treatments are wonderful, including treating our largest organ, the mind. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, now it's time for our favorite part of the interview, the lasting love round. We'll ask you a series of questions, and you'll respond with great information to help set the foundation for a lasting relationship. 
We love it. Our listeners love it. So, Dr. Gail, are you ready to help us build lasting love? I'm with you, Chase and Sarah. (laughs) Great. What's one thing couples can do on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? The key to a happy, healthy relationship is mutuality. To be mutual in a relationship. So it phrases such as this, sweetheart, darling, honey, whatever your endearment is, no matter what comes up, how do you feel about this? Not this is how it's going to be, this is what I want it to be, this is what I want you to do, but how do you feel about it? By incorporating the other into your decision-making, you are raising the self-esteem of your relationship because you're making the other feel warm and cozy and loving towards you because you're counting them. You know, the most important thing in a relationship is that that head on the pillow next to you has to be in your corner, right or wrong. And you have to be able to count on that head. The one person in the world who's for you, right or wrong. If my husband and I are out and I say something that's completely wrong and he notices it, he would never confront me in front of other people. When we got home, he would his, his endearment for me when I'm wrong is sport. And he would say, sport, you were wrong tonight when you <laughs> yeah. said whatever, whatever. But never would he say that because he's my best friend. I can count on him to protect me, watch my back, be in my corner, right or wrong. So mutuality and therefore being able to count on the other mate is number one. Love it. Is there a book or resource you can recommend for couples? You know, I used to love Eric Fromm's book, The Art of Loving. And I still think it's a wonderful book. Great. Well, that book, as well as uh, some other great tips you've given our listeners today, will be on your show notes page at idopodcast.com. We're getting married this year. Is there any? Oh, congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, Is... let me tell you, the happiest thing I ever did 42 years ago was get married. Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations <laughs> for you, too. To, that's great. And to this minute, I love it as much, if not more, than the first day I showed that ring to the person in the grocery store. Aww. See, I'm married. Aww, <laughs> that's why we got great. you on the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there any advice you would give engaged couples or newlyweds? You know, it's a simple piece of advice. Surround yourself with happily mated people. Because when people are dissatisfied and unhappy, it's contagious. And it makes people start, we're social animals and we copycat each other. And it's really important when you're happy, be around other happy couples. I think it's paramount. Trust each other. Communicate. And my favorite is the empathic process dialogue that I created. And that means I I like to do it once a, a week. You can do it even once a day, especially when you start having children. But it's a dialogue where you talk to each other quietly, in silence, I like to say in your kitchen where it's the alchemy of the house, the hearth of the house where alchemy happens, where you take flour and water and make bread. Something new evolves. And so it's not a power place. It's not a sexual place. It's not a bedroom. It's not an office. And in this place of really safe, safe 
other's hands, look in each other's eyes, and tell each other truly what's on your mind, how you really feel, even if you think that you'll hurt the other one's feelings. It's not what you say like your mother used to tell you, it's how you say it. And then the key is how the other receives the information. Even if someone says, today I really don't like you because you did whatever, don't answer in a defensive way. Just let the person tell you how they feel. Because ultimately, if you don't defend your behavior, the other person can return to this space and say, you know, I can see some of your points. I can see how you feel. I can see the valid, the validity in this. I value what you shared with me. But if you are defending yourself, you're really not listening to the other person. You're having your answer pop up in your brain while the other person is talking. Touch the other person. Make eye contact and write love letters. But not the kind of love letters that say, I love you no matter what, da 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 Love letters that talk about your feelings and the feelings that you're uncomfortable with. Today, when you did such and such, I felt as if I was losing my stomach. In a descriptive way, you tell your feelings. How, my, how when you're in an elevator and your stomach drops. That's how I felt when you did this or did that. So if you speak to each other in descriptors so that the other person can ride that wave with you, can hear the range of your feelings and be there with you, that's how you really can communicate empathically. And that's what a real love letter is about. And then you should save them. And by the way, you should read them in each other's presence. And, and they should begin with, I love you and this is what is going on with me. And I want you to know that no matter what, I love you. And no buts, because buts negate everything. But and, this is how I feel. And then tell your feelings so that they don't fester and become gigantic pieces of energy and tension that then can't really be solved. Address them weekly, even daily. But weekly is good enough. And write that love letter that addresses your issues in a loving way. Deliver the letter in each other's presence, holding hands, making eye contact without defense. Create a safe space to communicate. This is an empathic process. So many great pieces of advice in there that that we'll be able to apply and, and I know our listeners will love. If you could boil it down to just one single piece of advice for a successful relationship, what would it be? It's Mutuality. Mutuality. I didn't say love. I didn't say trust. I said mutuality. Because when you're mutual, you're loving. When you're mutual, you build trust based on experience. And when you're mutual, you can count on each other. So be mutual with each other. And that ebb and flow will take you to 42 years. Wow. Well, that is just so insightful, Dr. Gale. And we've really enjoyed hearing all the advice you've given us and our listeners today. So let's finish by having you tell our listeners where they can find you, and then we'll say goodbye. You can find me on my web, www.drgalegross, G-A-I-L-G-R-O-S-S. You know how kids go, oh, gross, Mm -hmm. galegross.com. Perfect. Well, our listeners know they can find all the information and links of today's episode on idopodcast.com. And I write for, also Chase and Sarah, I write for the Huffington Post. 
bi-weekly. I also blog for empowerher.com bi-weekly. Perfect. Excellent. And you'll be right on our website under the podcast tab, and we'll be sure to put links to all those great articles in there as well. Thank you, you two. You're great, and congratulations. You're getting ready for the most joyful journey of your lives. Oh, well, thank you so much for your, all your knowledge and for taking the time to come on our show today. Thank you. Thank you both. Very insightful. Are you interested in learning five ways to improve your relationship on a daily basis? How about five tips for engaged couples or newlyweds? This information and more is our free gift to you when you go to idopodcast.com and subscribe to our mailing list. Thank you so much for joining us today on I Do Podcast. Head on over to idopodcast.com for full recaps of every show, relationship resources, tips, and advice. Your path to a successful and lasting relationship awaits you. Are you ready to create lasting love?